What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out, talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris, as always. Chris, what's going on, my man? Not much, Bob. Uh, had a really good weekend. I went to the Tribe game on Saturday. Sadly, they did not win that one. That was the one they lost pretty bad to Chicago, but uh, inching closer to that it seems inevitable that they're going to win the division now, but it was fun to get to the Tribe twice last week. I was also at the one on Tuesday against Kansas City. They won in a walk-off, so that was a little more fun. Um, got two more games under sure. my belt. I'm 4-4 four and four this year in games I've attended, so at 500. I guess I should have gone out on top on Tuesday and not uh, put the record in jeopardy, but... It was it was fun to. Well, you just, you wanted to be part of history. I, I, that when we bought the tickets on Saturday, we were thinking that maybe they could clinch, but Detroit didn't do its job. It, no matter what had happened, they wouldn't have clinched on Saturday. Um, even though Detroit lost, uh, they still would have needed two more wins. Yeah, for sure. It's a uh, it's inevitable at this point. I mean, we're we're gonna definitely talk about some Indians in this podcast, but. Um, definitely inevitable. It hasn't happened yet, and that's probably why we aren't leading with the tribe this week. Um, starting off for this episode, though, we we we're, we're going to start with the Browns. Um, you know, we're we're learning things about this team as each week progresses. Uh, you know, we got to meet Cody Kessler for the first time and see how he performs. But um, for me, Chris, the biggest takeaway is uh, special teams can can cost you some games every year, and the Browns definitely learned that one. Uh, the hard way on Sunday where's Phil Dawson when you need a man I mean I feel like yeah. ever since Phil Dawson they cut him their kicking position has been kind of cursed uh, seems as if it's a constant problem or maybe we just took Phil Dawson for granted I don't think the fans did um, I'm talking just in general um, Phil Dawson was such a consistent force on this team uh, but I feel bad for Cody Parkey here because uh, he was put in a very uh, tough situation. Uh, three of six on field goals. How many times do teams kick six field goals for one? That's kind of crazy. Um, he hit a long of 48, so uh, pretty good. Uh, but he'll be remembered for the one he missed at the end, shanked it left badly. And that was a gift by the Miami Dolphins, by the way. Um, now, now again, the Browns defense earned that gift by getting the big sack on Ryan Tannehill, forced the fumble, but you don't see that happen very often, that the team turns it over that deep in their own territory with less than 10 seconds left. So um, clearly the Browns benefited from a bit of a gift there, uh, but they couldn't capitalize and they lost in overtime um, because uh, Parkey uh, missed the kick as time expired. Um Back to Cody Parkey, though, he just joined the team like less than 24 hours before the game uh, because the original kicker yeah. was hurt. Uh, that, it, that's a tough situation to be put in. I, I, I'm just saying, that's a tough situation to be put in 24 hours later to have to kick six field goals when you really haven't done much in-game kicking in, in about a year. No, I, I understand it's not ideal, but kicking is kicking, man. Like, if, if, you, if you're a kicker, you should be able to kick a field goal. And if you're willing to uh still accept an nfl contract you need to be ready at a moment's call if you're a kicker so i have no sympathy for him he is, has one job well excuse me he has two jobs to start to do the kickoff and, and to kick field goals um and he was very subpar at, at his one job so i don't feel bad for him um you know it, it's hard to blame one person uh 
for losing a game in the NFL and especially in football, it's a, it's a team sport, but when the clock is expired and you miss the game winning field goal, I mean, it's hard to shift the blame anywhere else, but Cody Parkey. And then you combine that with, he missed two other field goals all within 50 yards. Uh, I, I, he, he costs the Browns a game. I don't feel terrible about it, but he definitely cost them. Well, he certainly played a part in costing them the game. Um, I mean, look, when you give up 30 points, you, you can't just let the defense off the hook there either um, in overtime, giving up big plays as well. I, I am of the belief that while there are plays that are more impactful, no one play ultimately decides the game. Uh, certainly, Parkey deserves his blame, and I agree. He has a job. If you're on an NFL team, you're expected to perform. But there were some extreme circumstances. The guy, you know, had missed all of 2015 with a groin injury. In 2014, he was he set a new NFL rookie scoring record with 150 points. Uh, so he, he clearly has shown that he can be an excellent kicker. Um, he was the first alternative for the two, for the Pro Bowl, and then he played in the game because uh, Goskowski was unable to. So uh, um, obviously he's shown a lot of... Uh, you know, talent, but last year he missed the uh, whole season with a groin injury. Coming back from that on a short notice, uh, extreme circumstances. So, look, again, yes, he certainly played a role in costing the Browns the game, but I'm not just going to sit here. I mean, it would be different if the guy was on the team the whole year and he missed these kicks. Uh, A little bit different when you're you're just putting on a Browns uniform 24 hours before the game. Yeah, he... He cost them the game. That's, I, I, I can't excuse it. Um, but moving on, um, you know, you, you, you wanted to bring up, uh, you know, watching the Browns in week three, and you, you had a question that you wanted to, to ask us on the podcast. Yeah, I do. I mean, look, the kicking aside, and we're, we're going to disagree on Cody Parkey because, again, no one play decides the game. I don't care if it was a missed field goal with zero times left. Uh, don't give up 24 points. Uh, don't give up a fourth quarter touchdown. Don't give up an overtime touchdown. All those things decided the games too. Don't give up seven receptions for 120 yards and a touchdown to Jarvis Landry. He's the best receiver. Yay, my fantasy team. But Browns, come on, man. You got to cover him. A lot of things decided the game. How about the fumble by Cody Kessler? You know, a lot of things decided the game. So I'm not going to hang it all on Cody Parkey, but certainly deserves a lot of the blame. But yeah, Overall, I thought the Browns looked pretty good in this game. And the the main question I had was, do you think the Browns have improved from three weeks into the season? Yeah, I don't I don't know if they've improved or not. Um, I don't think that uh, there have just been so many moving pieces that it's hard to say that to measure that growth over just a a three week period. Um, What I can definitely say is that this Browns team seems to be well coached and that they are definitely uh, listening to the coaching staff, I think Hugh Jackson um, called a, a good offensive game, given what he had in, you know, Cody Kessler with his first start, a, a rookie. Are uh, the Browns already moving on to their third quarterback of the year? And then on the flip side of the ball, you had Ray Horton, who I thought also called a really good defensive game uh, for a defensive unit that was missing its best player in Joe Hayden and arguably its best pass rusher in Carl Nassib. So. I was impressed with both sides of the coaching staffs and what they're able to get out of these players. Um, if they continue to respond to that coaching and continue to exhibit this, then yes, they certainly will improve. But over a three-week period, I can't really um, say that, you know, 
I've already seen an enormous amount of growth from, from these young guys. Like, you know, I, I need to see more. I need to see some consistency, but certainly it gives me hope because they seem to be really well coached and, and to be listening to these coaching staffs. A couple of things that jumped out at me, Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson Jr. combining for 25 carries and 148 yards. It's encouraging to see the running attack start to get some life into it, especially with the different skill sets the two bring to the table. Crowell more of a smasher, Johnson more of the speed guy who can catch the ball as well, five receptions for 12 yards on top of his running game. So I thought the running game impressed me. Uh, obviously it was great to see Gary Barnage get involved with the offense five five catches for 66 yards and he caught the two-point conversion so very encouraging to see Gary Barnage step up with a rookie quarterback under center and Cody Kessler I thought looked very good I mean he was pretty poised he stood in the pocket even though he got sacked three times which Offensive line and pass protection is still a big concern for me on this team. Uh, as we know, uh, two quarterbacks are already down, and it's not good to see Kessler get hit three times. Had to come out of the game because he had blood on his elbow on a critical third down. So that's an area that needs to improve. But 21 of 33 for 244 yards, and despite taking all those hits, he did not throw an interception. I thought that's a very, a very good debut given the circumstances. But where the coaching comes in for me, Bob, is the use of Terrell Pryor yesterday. My goodness, that was just fantastic. Uh, he was running the ball. They used him at quarterback. They brought out a little wildcat. Eight catches, 144 yards. That right there is just, that's stepping up. And to me, to see Terrell Pryor really take his game to another level over the last three weeks is something the Browns sorely need and you can only hope that with that, combined with the return of Josh Gordon a couple weeks away, could give the Browns two dynamic playmakers on offense with Gary Barnage, with an emerging run game, with a young quarterback who had a good debut. I think that there are some signs that the Browns might be able to have a good season by their standards. I'm not saying they're going to win eight games or anything like that. But this is what I've wanted to see out of the Browns. I wanted to see continuous improvement. And I'm seeing that. And I'm encouraged that guys are starting to step up and take the workload of being, you know, leading this team to uh, improvement. Yeah, the, the goal of the season is improvement. It's not wins. Uh, that's why the Browns brought in Parky and not Robbie Gold. You know, they want to lose games while also improving. And I don't, you know, the coaching staff doesn't want that and the players don't want that, but that is clearly the, the idea of the regime. So as long as we see improvement, that's great. And and I think Terrell Pryor is uh, going to be a great example of that improvement, a person so raw but so full of, of talent and ability. We can see, we can chart that growth pretty easily along, along the course of the season. And I think that Hugh Jackson displayed uh, a, an ability to use him that I don't think previous coaching regimes would have been able to do. I don't think Petten or, or, or Chud would have been able to use Terrell Pryor in the way he was used in week three. And if they did try to do that, I think it would be a half attempt or, you know, a failed attempt uh, to put Terrell Pryor in these positions for him to succeed. You know, he's still a really raw receiver. When I watch him, he doesn't run, you know, elaborate routes. He doesn't, uh, 
beat corners with shiftiness or, or good route running and his hands aren't exactly the best. Uh, he doesn't snatch balls out of the air, but he's a he, immensely athletic talent that can be used in a number of different ways. Um, the, the comparison is pretty obvious and, and parallel, you know, the way, uh, Hugh Jackson used Muhammad Sanu in Cincinnati. I envisioned that from TP, but perhaps a little bit more explosive on the outside. And, and I agree with you, you know, once all three of those wideouts and Coleman, Gordon and Pryor get on the field together, that, that that's a really scary thing. And then you have Gary Barnage in the middle as well. Um, there's huge room, room for growth, obviously on this Browns team. And I think more so than other years, there's hope that we have a coaching staff in place that can actually bring these guys to that place to grow and they can enable them to grow. You know, there's always room for growth on, on a Browns team because they're, you know, winning three or four games a year. Now there's actually, uh, there seems to be a regime in place that, that can bring that out of these guys. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between improving on a team's record and showing growth that is sustainable. And I think the Browns, when they won those seven games with Brian Hoyer a few years back, showed that they improved on their record but I don't think many people were confident that this was a, that was a sustainable model. This feels like if it can continue, and, and it, look, we're only three games into it, okay? So I'm not trying to overreact, but I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing, specifically the fact that this coach, Hugh Jackson, clearly knows what he's doing. Uh, we didn't even mention Ricardo Lewis, who caught three of his four targets, including a 28-yard reception and a big catch that helped them get into the red zone on a drive. You know, Ricardo Lewis is another young rookie wide receiver who could be part of the future as well. So already three games in, we're seeing Pryor step up. We're seeing the run game improve. We're seeing Duke Johnson, a guy who I loved out of Miami and was very happy that they got in the third round a few years back, step up and start to become the explosive playmaker he could be. Isaiah Crowell get his head on straight and be that dynamic running back he can be. So I, I'm, I'm encouraged. And Cody Kessler looked good. He looked good. I want to see more of Cody Kessler, even when Josh McCown is healthy. I think Cody Kessler's earned the right to play for a few more games and see if he's uh, got what it takes. Yeah, I, I mean, he, I don't, I don't know if he's earned the right, but you know, he's he's going to be starting for a couple of weeks, so he can definitely seize control of that and, and possibly, you know, just be our starter when when McCown or Griffin come back from injuries. So, um, yeah, for for. Uh, a spot start week three, you know, Kessler was third on the death chart just two weeks ago, probably not expecting to, to see much playing time. It, it was really impressive the way he uh, didn't make mistakes. You know, he had one fumble, but no interceptions. That's more of what I'm looking for. He did hold on to the ball a, a little bit too long at times, but I was impressed with the way he uh, avoided pressure within the pocket and, and made the correct throw that, you know, uh, Hugh was enabling him to make, uh, through a, a more kind of conservative play call. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, that was a best-case scenario for, for Cody Kessler starting in week three. Um, it, it was pretty impressive. All righty. We'll, of course, have more Browns talk looking ahead to the Washington game on our Football Fridays bonus podcast. So be sure to tune into that on Friday. But, Bob, around the NFL, let's, let, there are a couple of storylines that uh, step jump out at me. We'll take a quick look at them. Uh, we were all hoping Philadelphia was in rebuild mode. Uh, Bob, after thrashing Pittsburgh, 
Okay, it's one thing to beat the Browns and the Bears, but after thrashing, destroying Pittsburgh and getting the 3-0, and uh, it's looking like the Carson Wentz train has left the station and there aren't any breaks on it. Bob, uh, I don't think that Philly pick is going to be as good as most people thought, at least initially. Uh, are you a little worried now that, 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 you know, that the Browns passed on Carson Wentz? Yeah, it, it does give me pause just because he has hit the ground running, didn't even get a full preseason, uh, basically played a half of a preseason game and then started against the Browns and that was about it. Um, so yeah, it makes me feel a little bit bad. Um, that being said, the Browns have so many holes all over the place. I don't think Carson Wentz with, especially that right side of the offensive line playing as poorly as it is and having issues at center already. I don't think Carson Wentz would be as successful if he were in Cleveland, uh, right now, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's already, I'm already beginning to regret that. That, that being said, they didn't just pass on Carson Wentz. They got a tremendous value in, in trading down from Carson Wentz, so they can still reclaim that and be better for it. But as of right now, uh, you know, those picks are investments in the future. As of right now, the Eagles, you know, made the right move in getting Carson Yeah, Wentz. as of right now. And, and it's important to emphasize that we're just three games into this trade. So I think that's a good point you made. I mean, Let's let's evaluate this when they make the pick, but certainly Browns fans were not happy, totally happy to see Philadelphia thrash Pittsburgh like that. Now, I know Browns fans are always happy when the Steelers lose, but this time they might have been a little bit concerned because Philadelphia is the one team that they're kind of cheering for them to lose. Uh, Bob, two other storylines that jump out at me. Dak Prescott, another rookie quarterback, having a great year in Dallas. He's got him at 2-1, and and Dallas has really looked good. I watched some of that game on uh, Sunday night. And then the New England Patriots, how do they keep doing it? Pulling quarterbacks everywhere on a short week, rookie quarterback, and they crush Houston 27-0 at home. Bob, we were saying it would be a great if New England started two and two and could even start one and three. They're three and zero, man. That's just and that, quite frankly, is pretty surprising to me. And, and we all know uh, any listener on this podcast knows that I'm I'm a Patriots fan as well. Yeah, it it kind of um, shows you just how intimidating the Patriots are. That you know the, the Houston Texans were basically lobbed a, a softball and they shot themselves in the foot completely. Um, a great defensive game was called for New England for sure, but you know to get shut out when Jacoby Bressett is the quarterback for New England, uh, you have a Gronkowski that isn't a hundred percent yet, and you have a Texans team that thinks that they're legit this year. Um, that that was pretty embarrassing, um, and, and you know rightfully impressive for the Patriots and, and their coaching staff and what they were able to do defensively and, and and able to have these two quarterbacks play that that's impressive as well but the Texans definitely blew it as well um you know not even being able to score a point um for Dak Prescott uh th- that's certainly impressive um you know I, I'm starting to read you know Tony Romo should sit when he comes back and Dak Prescott should continue to play I don't know if I'm there yet um he, very conservative game plan is called for Dak Prescott he can't make all the throws that you want out of an NFL quarterback so I'm not sure about that but certainly a guy that again that wasn't expected to start this early in his NFL career and is off to an impressive start let me ask you a question um which of these quarterbacks is is more for real um Sam Bradford in 2016 Carson Wentz or or Dak Prescott well we kind of know what Sam Bradford is um so I, I think he is for real, 
because when he's healthy, he's a really good quarterback. Um, but if you're Sam Bradford is, yeah, I think when Sam Bradford's healthy, he's been a solid quarterback. He finished the year strong with Philadelphia and his rookie year in St. Louis. He's he was good. I, I think Sam Bradford, we know what he is. Uh, I don't know. I'm not saying he's an elite quarterback, but I certainly think he's a he's a good quarterback, a serviceable quarterback. I don't think the Vikings should have traded a first round pick for him, but I think he's a serviceable quarterback, and that's what he is. Um, if you're asking me between Prescott and Wentz, that's a very tough question. Um, I liked what I saw at Dak Prescott. I also liked what I saw at Carson Wentz. Uh, a little too early, but if I'm gonna Okay, fine. I'll make a choice. Carson Wentz. I'll say he's more for real. What about uh, Trevor Simeon or Carson Wentz? Uh, Carson Wentz. I I think Trevor Simeon's in a great situation. I think the Broncos are a very strong team around Simeon, and and I just think that Simeon is a a solid but probably not going to get to that next level quarterback. Yeah, yeah. One last point on New England before we switch topics here. Um, I'm not stunned about the defensive shutout. I'm stunned that the Houston Texans defense couldn't get more than like one sack against a rookie quarterback. I don't care if he's playing for New England. That defense is elite, and they should feel ashamed of themselves for getting smacked around 27 to nothing. I don't care if it was in New England. If you're an elite unit, you got to overcome that. So that, I think, was the most surprising development of that New England game last Thursday. Yeah, I mean, the it was surprising on all, all fronts, I think. <laughs> True. Uh, Alrighty, so we said early on that we were going to talk Indians, and we are certainly not going to overlook the team that is one game, one game away from winning the division. That's one win or Detroit loss or both. We could get one of those in the next four games. We got Corey Kluber going tonight, so hopefully that will put a rest to the division with Klubes on the mound. Bob, there, there was... I said it last week that there was no way. There is absolutely no way the Indians lose the division. They are in, as far as I'm concerned. I will tempt fate. I don't care. But let's look at it this way. How should the Indians approach this week? They are one and a half games out of the number two seed. Boston and Texas are currently tied for first. Should the Indians go for home field or take a laid-back approach and align their rotation and see what other guys have in their bullpen? I, I, I think... They need to go for home field in this situation. Um, just look at their record. Uh, they have the best home record in the American League, and they're 37-37 and 37 as of today uh, on the road. So I, I know it's just one game, but having that comfort of knowing that you have home field advantage, I think would, would do the Indians more wonders than uh, any other team that's playoff bound right now. Um, I That being said, you know I, I think that, they'll be fine either way with it but if i have to choose I, i'm definitely i definitely think they need to go for home field advantage um i i understand that you probably want well you definitely want Corey kluber to start game one of the postseason and i think kluber is scheduled to start the second to last game of the season so maybe you can reset that one um but other than that uh go, go for home field because the indians are by far a different team playing at home uh, than on the road. Yeah, I, I definitely hear your argument, uh, home and road. And and let's just look at this for, for a second. They're a game and a half games back, but they do play one more game than Boston and Texas. So if they win that extra game, they're only one game back. 
Um, that's why that that half game exists because Boston and Texas each have an off day this week, so they can cut that to one pretty easily. But here's the caveat, though: I believe Boston and Texas won the season series, and for home field seating, uh, it's decided by the head-to-head record. So essentially, the Indians are two games back. So if they don't win that swing game, they will have to make up uh, three games in order to win home field outright which I think is tougher to do with only seven games left. Here's what I'm saying, though. Cookie Carrasco has already been hurt. You know, Danny Salazar may or may not be back. I don't think the Indians can afford to uh, go all out for home field. I think when you get to the dance and you got an ace like Kluber, that's good enough. Um, Now, I do think Kluber will pitch twice this week even if it might not be for a full game, um, because I don't think you want Kluber to go, uh, you know, what would it be, about 10 days without pitching because the first game of the ALDS is next Thursday. So if he's pitching tonight, you can throw him Saturday, no problem. I don't think they're going to skip a start or anything like that. But I also think the Indians should use this opportunity to let Mike Clevenger, Cody Anderson, and some of these other guys start full games. Not just start two innings and pull them. Start five or six. See if they can go far. And maybe you can find that fourth starter for your playoffs if you need him should Danny Salazar not be back in this rotation. Uh, because you've got Kluber, you got Bauer, you got Tomlin. If Salazar is back, he's your four. But if not, I want to see what Clevenger and Anderson can do. Um, give them a couple starts under their belt to see to build up their confidence for the playoffs because you might you're definitely going to need a fourth starter for that best of seven series if you get out of the divisional round yeah i understand that um i don't think there's much that yeah you, you don't want anyone to get hurt um you can tell guys to play it safe um sometimes that causes them to get hurt in, in certain situations um i don't think there's much that the indians can do to to stay healthy and stay safe heading into the postseason right now you know Kluber is scheduled for two starts uh Bauer and Tomlin only have one more start and you know you have to give it to them for for them to stay in a flow and 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 an emotion I get what you're saying with with seeing what Anderson and Clevenger can do they'll get their starts uh to close out the season um but if you're if you have to play these guys so you know go for home field and, and just see what happens um I, I think that that just needs to be the, the, the course of action that they take. Well, I'm not saying, like, don't try to win the games, but I also think the Indians should focus more on getting their team aligned for the playoffs than they should on home field, if that makes sense. I think that if you need to play some guys on your bench to see if they make the cut for the 25, do it. If you need to get throw some guys in the bullpen in some playoff situations to see if they have what it takes, do it. You know, you know what you got in some of these guys. I want to see some of these guys who they're considering adding to the playoff roster get some meaningful innings over the course of this week and have them do an evaluation of their roster. That's, I guess, what I'm saying. I think that's more important than chasing down Texas and Boston for home field because to me, in baseball, I don't think home field is that big of an advantage. I'm not saying it isn't an advantage, Because you don't want to play a deciding game on the road ever. And the bottom of the ninth factor is always big. But I don't think it's as big of an advantage as it is in, say, football or basketball. 
Yeah, I mean, usually you're right, but uh, for for the Indians, I think it's a marked difference uh, in teams and performances. Um, I think they could definitely benefit from home field advantage if if uh, their performance in the regular season reflects what they'll be like in the postseason. So I think they can definitely benefit from it. Um, I I think there's plenty of time uh, in the next seven games to see what you have from some of these guys um, while still being competitive. So I, I don't think that we're really talking about two different approaches. Um, I think there's plenty of time to, to do that, to see that. Um, hopefully it's happening while they, they win some games and go up against uh, Boston or, or even Texas. You know, Boston looks like they'll never lose again, but um, hopefully they're able to, to win it out and, and get that second seed at least. So, Bob, are you uh, following the wild? Are you going to follow the wild card race at all? Uh, since it doesn't probably isn't going to involve Cleveland, you're going to cheer against Detroit for anyone? Or the NL could get crazy with the Mets, Giants, and Cardinals. AL looks like it's the Jays, Orioles, Tigers, Mariners with the Astros an outside shot at three games out. Are you cheering for anyone, or are you just going to kind of kick back and watch the chaos unfold? Yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna watch it unfold. Um, mostly because it not only does it uh, the Indians, you know, have their division path pretty much locked up at this point. Um, you know, the the Indians won't even play that wild card winner unless they go to an ALCS situation, or if the Indians happen to be the one seed all, all of a sudden. So it doesn't really affect the Indians a whole lot. Um, I don't like Detroit, but Cleveland has a great history against Detroit this year, so I. I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't quite care who makes those two wild cards. Bob, what if the NL ends in a three-way tie and they play those two play-in games just to get to the wild card game? Yeah, that, that would be pretty fantastic. It's shaping up to be a, a, a pretty exciting wild card race, especially in that National League. That that would be pretty crazy. That almost happened with Cleveland in 2013 but the indians went on that 10 game win streak to finish ahead of texas and tampa by one they played the play-in game and we all know how that ended tampa won and then beat cleveland and cleveland in the wild card game but yeah we could have a pretty crazy finish between three i mean how are the giants in this position they have had an awful record since the all-star break i mean they were running away with that division they have collapsed big time um the al looks a little more cut and dry Yes, Seattle's two and a half, but I think it's going to be either the Jays, Orioles, or Tigers, two of those three teams. Yeah, I, that, that's what it looks like. It was like a three-team three, three team race, and you know, Detroit has some work cut out for them to, to catch up even into that number two seed. So, or excuse me, number two wild card spot. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, the MLB wild card race is always down to the wire. It's always fun to keep track of. Certainly, certainly, especially ever since they did that second wild card. Um all right, switching gears here again. Uh, college football. Last week, the Buckeyes were off, and this week you could argue they're still off because they're playing Rutgers. Uh, but college football was not off. There were some very big stories. Uh, the Big Ten uh, big story was Wisconsin flexing its muscle muscle over Michigan State. I mean, this was a beatdown, Bob. 30-6, to and I don't even think it was that close. Wisconsin is looking like they're more than just a West Division contender. They're looking like they are a Big Ten championship contender. Uh, Couple that with a win over LSU, which admittedly is not looking as impressive. Uh, LSU fired Les Miles uh, out of the top 25, so uh, not looking as impressive. But by name it is. Uh, Wisconsin's got a big showdown 
with Michigan this week. Uh, this 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 is obviously a huge game. Oh, for sure. Um, I think both teams have a lot to prove, uh, and this is their really their only chance to keep themselves in the race um, to to get that playoff spot. So you know, Michigan hasn't played a, a quality opponent this year, and Wisconsin. Um, you know, I'm sure there are still some doubters. I'm coming around to them. I mean, going into East Lansing and beating Michigan State like that certainly is impressive. Then you combine it with the fact that, uh, like you said, LSU might not might not be the top 10 team that they were preseason, but it's still an impressive win out of conference against an SEC opponent. So um, Wisconsin certainly has the track record. Michigan, you know, has been ranked fourth for the past couple of weeks. Um, still hasn't really proved themselves. So a lot on the line in that game, um, a game that, you know, two weeks ago didn't have a whole lot of impact now might be one of the, the benchmarks of, of the Big Ten season. Here's the thing, though. Wisconsin has to also play Ohio State. So all these teams in the East play uh, Wisconsin, all the big ones, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan. So we could be looking at a rematch situation because I'd be surprised if one of those three teams didn't win the East. And Wisconsin's certainly looking like the team to beat in the West. Nebraska, though, making a good case as well. Um, But yeah, this is a very big showdown. And last week I said Michigan's going to lose three Big Ten games. I think they're the most overrated team in the top 25. Um, I'm a little shaky now that Michigan State got blown out, but we'll see what Wisconsin's made of. We'll see what Michigan's made of this week. I know that Wisconsin is a good team. You've beaten two big programs. Michigan has beaten nobody. Hawaii, Central Florida, Colorado, Penn State. That is not a tough schedule. I'm sorry. Penn State is not what it was Michigan, this is their first big test. It's all on them. They got to step up and prove that they're a top five team. I don't think they are. I think they're going to get exposed this weekend. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be because you know I, I really thought Michigan State was going to handle Wisconsin. So I'm. I'm really not sure what to make of, uh, just about any team below Ohio State in the Big Ten right now. And this, we're going to find out a lot about the Big Ten in this Michigan Wisconsin team. We'll have a really good idea of what's going on. Um, once we see that. So I'm, I'm really not sure what to predict from that game. Um, we have some other big matchups. I mean, uh, how about this one? Stanford versus Washington. Definitely not the, uh, doesn't bring out any kind of big name recognition currently. I mean, Washington uh, has had a very story program and so has Stanford. Um, but number seven versus number 10, uh, both of them almost lost this week, kind of almost spoiling this matchup. But uh, who would have thought that this was a, a, a matchup of two top 10 teams in 2016? Well, first and foremost, UCLA really blew that game against Stanford. Uh, dad, our dad and I watched it on uh, Saturday night, watched the end of it after we got back from the uh, Indians game. Uh, Stanford showed some poise down the stretch there. Uh, but this is a this is a huge game. It could decide the Pac-12 North um, right now. Washington-Stanford, you, you just said it. They're both top 10 teams. Um, with Oregon already losing in conference and losing to Nebraska. That's the only other team that's been the big boy in this division. Uh, You've got Cal lurking, and I'm not saying it's impossible for anyone else to win, but right now uh, it looks like the winner of this game will likely uh, take that division, and and so you've got to circle it as a huge game. Um, It's it's on a Friday, Bob. It's uh, kind of odd. It's going to be on a Friday night, not a Saturday game. So It's kind of weird how college football continues to just – thin out their schedule you know, all the way out to Thursday. Now that we got some Friday night games, 
Um, Rutgers, Idaho, Portland State, and Arizona are the teams that Washington has played. So I'm not really sold on them. Stanford had a great season last year. They've already beaten USC, UCLA, and Kansas State. So I know what Stanford is. I'm not sure. I don't know what to make of Washington. I don't think a lot of people do. Um, they had a, a successful season last year, but this is definitely, uh, you know, could be a coming out party for them, or it could be, oh, well, it's Washington. We kind of expected them to lose. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. They're known for their defense. So can they stop Christian McCaffrey? That, that'll be a, a very big, important question. Um, moving on to... Uh, you know, some of, some of the other games, uh, Tennessee, again, down big in the middle of a game had to just come back with a huge rally against Florida, uh, 11 game losing streak against Florida. I think they scored 24 consecutive points in that second half. Uh, they just came out looking like a completely different team and, and really steamrolled Florida in that second half. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch the second half because uh, the Indians game we went to, uh, we we had the cutout at halftime. We thought it was done. Florida, with their long streak, up big at the half. We were stunned to come back and see that Tennessee had won that game. So Tennessee certainly proving their uh, their you know worthiness uh, of that high preseason ranking and. Hard to, hard to argue with them being the favorites in that SEC East, uh, especially if they were to go on and win their next two at Georgia, at Texas A&M. If they were to do that, that would set up a very big showdown with Alabama at home. Bob, you know, Tennessee has a shot over the next three weeks, not just to play its way into a division championship, but if it goes 3-0, and uh, I think Tennessee could be one of the top three, if not number one team in the nation. So, a lot on the line for the Volunteers in a brutal portion of their schedule. Yeah, definitely. They keep playing with fire, though, and eventually that's going to bite you, especially uh, going on the road in, in, in the SEC against some quality opponents and then coming back home to Alabama. They, they can't be that team that, that comes back. They, can't, they, they, they aren't that good, and they have too many holes on defense. Too many guys are getting hurt um, for them to, to continue to, to mess around like that. Um, I don't think that they will come out of this three-game stretch unscathed. Uh, particularly, I don't think that they're going to be able to stand up to Alabama. But you know, I, I, I don't think they're as good as the 4-0 record makes them look. But like you said, they do play in the East, so I, I think they're definitely the favorites to, to win that and potentially get a rematch against Alabama in the championship. Yeah, game. I think they should beat Georgia next week. Um, the next two, if they can split those, they'll keep themselves in good position to win the East. As long as they do that and get to the SEC championship game, they will have a shot at cracking the college football playoff. Yeah, definitely. And Bob, we have to tip our hat to the uh, wagon wheel showdown, the battle for the wagon wheel. Akron at Kent State. Big rivalry, uh, unfortunately not not two big time programs, but right in our wheelhouse here. So uh, that is also going on this weekend. Uh, you know, Kent Nakron always kind of on hard times in football. Big, huge basketball rivalry, but and a big football rivalry too. It's just uh, the two programs aren't exactly uh, you know blue blooded programs to to be nice. So uh, that's going on this weekend yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. It's always nice those kind of local rivalries rivalries to see those. Uh, live and see those in person we, we got a couple other big games though in, in, in the landscape Oklahoma at TCU um, you know Oklahoma can be one in three uh, who would have thought that but what are your thoughts on that game 
Well, obviously a big one for Oklahoma, given their, uh, you know, two losses already. I mean, look, look I, I, I will say this. I will defend Oklahoma for scheduling up in the non-conference. I think their two losses are better than some teams zero, like Michigan's, who hasn't played anyone. I'd rather, I wouldn't rather be Oklahoma, because you always want to rather be undefeated, but at least Oklahoma went out and challenged themselves. Um, this obviously starting a new season for Oklahoma in the Big 12. If they go undefeated in the Big 12, they're 10-2 and two Big 12 champions. So this season's not over for Oklahoma, even if their college football playoff dreams maybe have been uh, derailed. Uh, two teams whose playoff dreams are not derailed, though. Big showdown, Clemson and Louisville in Death Valley. Bob, I'm really excited for this game. Two very exciting quarterbacks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Lamar, Lamar Jackson has lit up the the scoreboard this year. is is the the Heisman favorite as of right now. Um, Deshaun Watson was the Heisman favorite heading into the season and hasn't really performed to that Heisman level. This could be a statement game for either. Um, it is in Death Valley. That's a really hard place to play. Um, and Clemson just hasn't been able to click yet. Um, th- they will have to, to to keep up with Louisville and Lamar Jackson. Um, I think that will be a very exciting game to watch. A lot of people in Houston are about to be Louisville fans this weekend. Uh, Cougars have Louisville later in the year, and if both of them are undefeated, that will be an epic showdown. Uh, very, very fun. I love college football, Bob, especially now that four teams make the playoffs. It's so much more exciting to talk about college football when more teams have a chance to actually win the title. Um yeah. So we got some uh, some minor news. Mo Williams originally said he was going to come back, but now he's announced that he will retire from basketball and his playing career is done. Uh, Bob, you know, Mo Williams obviously is going to go down in Cavs history as a, as a favorite player. I mean, he was a big part of those two number one overall seed teams in 2009 and 10, and he contributed to this championship team, especially early in the year when Kyrie Irving was coming back from injury. Uh, certainly, uh, but... Not not exactly a crippling loss for the Cavs. Um, yeah, not a crippling loss, but it it they were planning to lean on him more this year, and hopefully, you know, he would enter the season in good health because he was the number one backup point guard to Kyrie uh, as of yesterday. Uh, losing Delavadova really hurt, so um, there's a huge need for for a backup point guard right now. I mean, I know Felder, the rookie guys are high on him, but you know, this is a championship team they're going to need they're going to find a replacement uh, at some point for, for a backup point guard um probably in mid-season at, at, at this point so it, it just magnifies the need for for a backup point guard um I, I think even if mo were on the roster they would probably upgrade it just because he's too banged up and too old to, to really last through the entirety of the season and then play meaningful minutes in the playoffs like Della Vadova did last year um but, uh, you know, Mo Williams is one of my favorite players from Cavs history. Um, I'm glad that he got that championship. I'm glad him and LeBron reconciled. I think that was a good sub story from, from him coming back. Um, so it'll be sad to see him go. Uh, but like you said, it's not going to make a huge impact on, on the Cavs run into the postseason or anything. But they definitely do need to find a backup point guard now. And, uh, yeah, we, we're going to be ending this podcast on a bit of sad news. Uh, Sunday was a very sad day for the sports world. It lost two prominent figures, both from the opposite ends of the generational spectrum. And on one hand, you have seven-time major champion Arnold Palmer, who is widely regarded as one of the best golfers ever. He passed away at age 87 of natural causes. But on the other, you have Jose Fernandez, who is one of baseball's bright young pitchers, uh, he died in a boating accident Sunday morning at age 24 that really rocked uh, 
all of baseball. You saw it everywhere on Sunday. Uh, guys writing their his number all over their hats, and uh, I think the Cubs had a Fernandez jersey in their dugout. Um, that one uh, really, you know. And Bob, he's only 24 years old and, and uh, such a bright young yeah. talent. He was Rookie of the Year, the ace of the Miami Marlins, and such a prominent figure being a, a Cuban defector um, in, in a community that has a lot of uh, Cuban, uh, high Cuban population. Uh, very, very sad story, uh, him in particular. Not to undermine Arnold Palmer's death, but uh, no, it's a little easier to stomach when uh, you, know, you're, you pass away at age 87, but to see someone who's only 24 with such a bright future, uh, die in a tragic way. Uh, it definitely, uh, shook me and, and, and I know it shook the uh, world of baseball. Yeah, def- definitely sad. Um, pretty shocking to see and just kind of makes you think like, how do you proceed and, and play a baseball game after that happens? Um, and you know, it'll, it'll be really interesting to, to see that, that Marlins season and how it plays out now. Um, uh, very sad news. I, I feel very bad for him and his family and for for Miami in general I, that he was immensely popular down there and uh, the Marlins and Braves did cancel their game on Sunday so uh you know that that answers your question right there they couldn't um and and I don't blame them it's certainly very sad news and our uh hearts go out to to Miami the team the family and uh all the people who are affected by this uh like I said just being his backstory really endured him to that city he was probably one of their he was a perfect star for that team and uh, it's a shame that his career got cut uh so shortly yeah certainly all righty well we hate to leave you with that news but unfortunately you know our time is up uh, thank you for listening to clee talk presented by fenleyroadsports.com uh, you can subscribe to us via itunes by searching fenley road sports and clicking clee talk or you can go to fenleyroadsports.com and click our itunes icon and just subscribe right there we'll take you right to the itunes site uh, please follow us on twitter at fenley road sports or instagram at fenley road sports come back to fenleyroadsports.com for more podcasts like our bonus football fridays podcast every friday previewing the next cleveland browns matchup and every monday we will oh excuse me